Last week, we had the privilege to start a whole new series. Um, if you weren't here last week, um, we do put our messages up online and all that, and so you can kind of catch up. Uh, I'll give you a little heads up of what we, um, what we talked about last week, and uh, hopefully get you on, on the same page. Uh, but we started our, our, our new series called Stuck in the Moment, and uh, we're, we're going through the book of Philippians. Um, and it, it's, uh, I don't think it's any more appropriate of a time than to look at being stuck in a moment, than coming out of an, one year and into a new year. Um, I love the, the stage design that these guys thought about and just in their creative brains came up with. And um, I had a little part of it, but they uh, not, not creatively because that's not my thing. Uh, I wish it was. Um, but uh, but we, the idea here of the trees and just the, the, the clocks and being stuck in a moment and just the, the drabness, I think we could see in the the starkness of the, of the tree that has no life on it, and we could just get stuck on that, you know, in, uh, seeing the only tree in the middle of a whole forest. Um, and so we, we've been looking at a lot of this stuff, and uh, as we've been looking at what Paul talks about and what God wants for us uh, through these moments that can get us in life, and, and, and how we started it off in the introduction of last week was a really simple aspect of getting it to, to the main concept of what the Apostle Paul, through the whole book of Philippians, really touches on, really just keeps harping on uh, in the best way that he can, uh, in the most godly way that, that as God the Holy Spirit works through him to deliver this message to a people 2,000 years ago and to us today. And a big part of that, the main concept, is that we're slaves and that we should be a slave of God as opposed to a slave to everything else. I love this uh, this analogy uh, that I want to give to you really quick. In, in Micronesia, and the, the islands, and there's, there's, they have a lot of these little things called monkeys. Um, and, and some of us think of monkeys as, oh, monkeys are cute and everything. Well, they're kind of like a pest a, a lot of times in Micronesia. There's just so many of these monkeys that are running around. And it's not like the big ones you see. It's the little guys, you know? And, and they actually have whole delicacies of monkey that they eat. And I don't know if you've I don't know if it's true, by the way, with Indiana Jones where they have chilled monkey brains. I don't know about that. But, uh, but I do know they, they, they catch these guys. And it's really hard to catch a monkey because they're fast and they're smart. So what they do is they take a coconut because they have a plethora of them. And, and they, they, they um, cut a hole in the top of the coconut. And then they, um, they proceed to really get all the stuff out that's inside of it, out of it, so it's really only the husk. And, and then they, they place a really juicy fruit on the inside. And then they seal up the top so that it's, it's sealed. And then they cut a little hole on the side of it. And, and so, so what happens is, and it's only big enough for the hands of a monkey. Okay, So, so it's this little tiny hole where the, where the monkey could get their hands inside of it. But I, some of you are catching on to the dilemma here. The fruit isn't big enough to get out of it. Okay, so what they do is they just set this little thing up, they set this coconut down, and the monkey comes along, smells the fruit, puts his hand in there, grabs the fruit, out of, try, trying to grab it out of the coconut, and it can't. It, it can't, see, because the, the fruit's too big. So it's sitting there, and it's doing this thing, and it's got both hands, it's trying, and, you know, it's doing, but it can't. And so what happens is it makes such a commotion, because it's squeaking and squawking, and its buddies come along, and, you know, they try to do, they, they, they don't know what to do, they see this fruit in there. And what's, what cracks me up, and I think is the most chilling part of this, is the Micronesian culture. These guys, they just come up to the monkey. And the monkeys don't like it when people come right up next to them. Because they're wild animals. But they just come right up to them. And the monkey's sitting there looking at them. It's shaking. It's trying to get the fruit. Trying to, but it won't let go of the fruit. <laughs> and the guy comes up and just goes, 
knocks it right on the head. <laughs> no, the monkey's out. You know, it's, that's it. He's, he's dinner. It's crazy because technically the monkey wasn't trapped. You, you get it? I, I mean, the fruit's in there. He could have let go of the fruit any time and ran away. But he was stuck. He was stuck. And, and I bring this up because maybe you're like me. Those moments come along, those things that happen, and we grab a hold of them. We hold on to them so tightly. And in turn, the enemy comes along, life comes along, and it's ready to club us. And instead of just letting go, we keep holding on to it. And all we have to do is let it go. But instead, we hold on, and we get beat up. Spiritually, mentally, you name it. We're stuck. That's why the real center of this book is Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul really puts it out simple. In the climax of the book, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because it's more Christ. That's the bottom line. It's about being a slave. And he modeled it. And then he points to Jesus coming as a servant, as a slave, so that we could see what it means. See, this is what Philippians is all about. And, and, and let me just say, Paul's writing this from prison. <laughs> so it's not like he's looking around in this beautiful fort. No, he's, he sees the clock. He knows the time. He sees the starkness. He's all alone. And 24 hours a day, he's chained to a Praetorian guard, which is like the really good guards in the Roman army. The Praetorians were known for their cruelty. They were known for their loyalty. And he was chained 24 hours a day to one. In fact, they would shift him out every, every um, I think it's eight hours. They would do three shifts a day. And he would be constantly chained to somebody. And, and as he's sitting there in the cell, chained to this person, the humility of it. He, he, he says, uh, he, he, he also says that he knows he's going to see Nero. See, he's, he's waiting to see Nero. Now, some of you know your history. Nero was not Santa Claus. He wasn't the kind Roman emperor that children would go and sit on his lap and what do you want, kids? And, you know, I'm just like dad or whatever. You know, he wasn't a nice guy. Nero was known for taking Christians, men, women, and children, covering them in wax, putting them up on crucifixes that lined his summer palace road, about a mile and a half to get to his summer palace road, right, to get to his summer palace. He would line them, put them up on his cross, line, line them up, dip them in wax, and then he would light them on fire so that people riding their chariots up to his summer home could get there with light. That's who Nero was. Paul is sitting waiting. This is a lonely prison cell with not the happiest of futures. And yet Paul writes a book that's known for joy. That's known for not being stuck, getting out and seeing Christ and living free. That's epic. Because if I was in that cell, I wouldn't have written the same book. (laughs) Let me just put it that way. But the truth is we can all be sitting in lonely cells of our life. Chained to moments that keep us isolated in the midst of people. So the question I have is I get the take-home truth. If you've got notes, we like to sum it up in just one simple sentence so that you walk away kind of understanding what we're talking about here. Um, But how does a slave of God let go of the moment so we're not stuck? 
And I would say this. We're going to look through this. It's the take-home truth of today. Jesus will help us to choose joy, J-O-Y, in the midst of a lonely world. All right, if you can do me a favor, let's stand up. We're going to go ahead and look at the, the passage here. We like to stand for the reading of God's Word just to give reverence to God's Word. And it's in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So we're going to go ahead and read that now. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for you, for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you, for all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. All right, you may be seated. So... In the ancient world, first off, I just want to give you a little cultural context and history here. Um, many of you have been uh, have gone to school where they've taught you how to write a letter. Many of you before email. I mean, there's this this way we write a letter. And how we write a letter is we start off and say, you know, dear so-and-so, and then we write the letter, uh, and, and, and we have a format to it. And at the end, you say sincerely, and you say it's who it's from. Well, in the old uh, ancient times, in ancient letters, they would always say who it was from, in the beginning, it's kind of simpler that way. If you ask me, it makes more sense. Sometimes you get a letter, who is this from? Um, you know, and, and this is what they did. They wrote who it was from right from the get-go. And that's what Paul is doing here. Now, it's important to note this. Paul didn't look around him and say, man, I'm, I'm bummed out. This is a bummer. Uh, you know, I, I'm bored. I'm going to write Bible. He, he didn't do that. It, it wasn't Paul's intention to sit down and write Bible. I, I have this firm conviction that when we all get to heaven and we, maybe, we, maybe there's going to be this big line and we go talk to Paul, Paul's going to be surprised that he was used to write Bible. Because he was in the midst of his circumstances. He was in the midst of hardships. He was lonely in prison. And instead of, of, of holding on to that loneliness, he let go and let Jesus do something in his life. But he didn't know he was going to be writing this Bible here. God prompts Paul in this dark moment, to write to the church and encourage them. And he encourages us today. And this is that first essential truth I want to point you to as we battle loneliness. In our lonely moments, we need to reach out, not retreat. I like what he says here in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul remembers others in prison. The sad truth is as Paul is reaching out, we, maybe you're with me here, we, we have a tendency to not retreat or uh, reach out. We have a tendency to want to retreat in loneliness when we're suffering in those moments. Uh, let, me, let me illuminate this. Um, one of my favorite bands 
uh, Wilco, they, they wrote this song, How to Fight Loneliness. And I really like this song because it actually has some very good biblical truth in it. And, and, and it says, one of their lines is, the first thing that you really that you want is the last thing you really need. But isn't that the truth of when we get lonely and down? We want to reach out to something we shouldn't do. We want to retreat. Adam and Eve did this in the garden. You see, when they first stepped up to the plate and they blew it, they, what did they do? They hid in the bushes. They hid in the bushes and God walked around, you know, as God's walking around saying, hey, where are you guys? They hid from Him. They retreated. Instead of in their, in their despair, in their loneliness, in, in, in their new awakening of being broken, instead of reaching out to God saying, we, we don't know what's going on, we're done, I, I'm tired, I don't know what's going on, they, 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 they retreated into the bushes. See, the truth is, we would rather retreat to our bedroom, our job, the bar, our addiction, our comfort zone. I mean, you fill in the blank. We would rather retreat to that than reach out to God who can truly help us. This is the plight we cling to that fruit of loneliness as the enemy comes walking along with that big club. Paul doesn't retreat. He reaches out. All of his texts here are, I'm continually praying. I am reaching out day by day as he sits in a dark, lonely cell. I'm reaching out in prayer. And I'm not only reaching out, I'm also doing what is the one thing, and I, I want to point you to this, how he reaches out. This is a great way. The best way we can reach out or be reached is through encouragement. This is why Paul includes Timothy in the letter, because Paul, Timothy's, not, Timothy's not with him. Timothy's helping him out every now and then. But see, the thing is interesting is Timothy is known for his timidity. That's what Timothy was really known for. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy. And he's encouraging the believers. He's encouraging the church. This is what encouragement does. To seek to connect with the community around us and to grow in our faith together. See, I want to bring up something here. We, we love to connect with you on a Sunday, but the reason we want to do grow groups and grow in faith is because we want to do it together. We just don't have them as, as a checklist, something to tick off. We have these groups so that every single one of us has a place that we can be reached and to reach out. We have an epidemic today in the church of loneliness, of isolation. I suffered with it for a long time. Maybe you're like me. But the whole reason we grow together here in faith is we need a community of believers. We need a community to encourage each other. And maybe you're not like me and you can get through life just fine. But me, I need encouragement. And the last time I tried to encourage myself, it didn't go very well. <laughs> but when I get somebody with the hand of God and puts their hand, their arm around me and lifts me up and encourages me and speaks truth into me and prays for me, like Paul is doing with them, that made all the difference. Real church and community is found in the living room and the kitchen where encouragement can be reciprocated. We crave this as relational beings. We just do. I mean, I love the, the, the whole narrative and truth of Genesis 1 and through 15. And it's the, the most profound statement that's given in Genesis 3 
is when God has created Adam. And Adam is at work and he's doing his thing and it's awesome. And God said, it is good. I mean, there's perfection. And yet, what does he say? It's not good that man is alone. See, this, is just, this isn't just a, a statement of, oh, hey, there's, you, know, you should get married. No, this is a profound statement that even the Lord Jesus, as he became a slave, and we see that in Philippians chapter 2, he came not just to be like, okay, I'm coming down here, you guys keep your distance because I'm holy. <laughs> you keep your distance. No, he had friends. He had relationships. He had a community. He had disciples. And he encouraged them. And they, yes, encouraged him. And then he had those three that he just gave his life to continually and he loved them. And when we see people, his disciples hurting, he hurts. And when we see people who are suffering, he suffered. Because he entered into community and he believed in growing in faith together. And when we don't do this, we suffer. Loneliness And we retreat. And it's easy to say, okay, I'll reach out to the easy people. No, no. If we truly grasp what's going on here as Paul's writing in this letter, it's interesting because Paul is not just addressing all the good people. He says all the saints at Philippi, every single one of you at Philippi. And by the way, in this letter, he's addressing people who are being quite the stinker in Philippi. People are not perfect there. And yet he says, grace to you all. He encourages all of them. Which really gets that, this point. I want, I want you to get this. Godly encouragement is just like God's love. It's not selective. Godly encouragement. See, it's easy to encourage people who are really, like, easy to encourage. But it's hard to go to the schoolyard bully and say, man, you hit really nice. <laughs> you know? It's really hard to go to the boss that's mean and say, you've got some great administrative skills. It's really hard to go to the spouse that you are just at enmity with and encourage. It's really hard to go to the family that has hurt you and hurt you and hurt you and be an encourager. Some of the loneliest people I have ever met are the most selective people I have ever met. I'm going to say that again. Some of the loneliest people I have ever met are the most selective people I have ever met. When we put conditions on God's reach and love, we miss Jesus entirely. This is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees had so many conditions on who they could minister to and what they could do in that, that they isolated themselves so much that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah that they were looking for for so long, for hundreds if not thousands of years that they had memorized in the Scripture, stood right in front of them, looking at them, reaching His arms out, and they just went, and they walked on by. Because they were so selective. And they were lonely. I love what Paul does here because he does something that we miss because we don't understand ancient writing. And I didn't know this until I really started studying this. But it's great stuff. He uses the words grace and peace. This is interesting because to us it's just kind of, oh, grace and peace, that's great, you know? But in the Roman world, you gave grace. You gave cars. You gave that gift. You gave grace. Grace to you. And in the Hebrew world, you said shalom. You said peace to you. Nobody in any ancient writing before Paul had ever taken the two and put them together. Seems simple, right? 
He was the first one. Why did he do that? Because he said, we've got this world here, and we've got this world here, and you guys are being selective. We need to be together, because that is the church. Young and old, rich and poor, black and white, it doesn't matter. See, because if the church were to set up and stop being selective, we wouldn't have the issues that we have today. And yet the saddest thing to me is one of the most segregated places in all the U.S. is on a Sunday a lot of times. Because we have this ethnic church and we have that ethnic church. And the truth is, when you get to heaven, there's no Hispanic section. There's no white section. There's no young section. I just want to be with my old section. No. There's no sections. See, the truth is, we are a community who are going to grow in faith together. This is how you beat loneliness. I love what Paul does here in the words he says. He says, because of your partnership, or in other translations, it's your fellowship. And that word is awesome. Some of you have heard it before. It's koinonia. And it's a, it's a really good word, but that word has been used kind of so much that we forget what it is. It's kind of like when we say, hey, I love you, but I also love tacos. Right? It's like, wait, you love me as much as tacos? You know? The Greek, the Greek is so specific. And, and it is for a reason, because what this, what this word really does is, is, I think the best way to describe it is, now some of you I know, if you're like Mark over here, Mark and I don't share the same love for fantasy. <laughs> he, 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 we were talking about Lord of the Rings recently, and I'm a Lord of the Rings nut. I love J.K., or, uh, um, J.R.R. Rowley, sorry, uh, Tolkien. That's it. I love Tolkien. Busted. Uh, no, I love Tolkien, and, and I've read everything he's ever written, because I just love his writing. And, and, um, one of the greatest things that we can see and understand in fellowship, because many of you have know what I'm talking about when, with the Lord of the Rings, you, you get three hobbits together, or four hobbits, uh, you, you get two humans, you get one elf, and one dwarf, and you put them together. Oh, and a wizard. Don't forget that. You put them all together. And by the end, they're willing to die for each other. And, and a lot of people don't get that, that, that the dwarves and the elves hate each other. They hate each other. And I love the part of that book at the end when, when Gimli, son of Gloin, and Legolas uh, of the Woodland Realm, they get together and they spend years just, I'm going to go see your family and you're going to come see my family. And they go off and they travel together and it's great. And it was never done before. And they were forged in this fellowship in this koinonia through the good times and through the bad as they were ready to die for each other. To some extent, like band of brothers in war. That's the fellowship. It's not just stale cookies and cheap church punch in the back of a room somewhere. You know what I mean? Oh, we're going to have some fellowship. <laughs> no, koinonia, man. <laughs> Coin, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. I try to make the punch as strong as possible. You know, I want that sucker to purse your lips, you know. But that's what fellowship should do. It shouldn't be some bland milk toast. Fellowship is I'm going to die for you. We're connected. As we, we, we're experienced today to some apart with, with Neil and Monica. We're connected. And that's not going to sever. And what God puts together, look, no man tear asunder. That's the idea of koinonia. Do you... Have a community that you can reach out in, being encouraged, or are you retreating? In our lonely moments, if you're taking notes again, this is the next part. In our lonely moments, we need to rely on the plan of God and relinquish our life. 
See, Paul goes on to say, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this is a twofold thing here. Uh, some of you guys, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to mess it up here. Some, how many of you have a life first? This is your life first. But being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. I don't want to destroy your life first, but here we go, I'm about to. Okay. <laughs> See, it's all about context. First and foremost, Paul is actually talking about the money that, he, that they promised to send to him because he really needs it. That's the ultimate meaning of this. I, you actually promised, and look up Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, you, you meant to send me some money, and I really need it because there's no food, they don't provide anything for me, and that's just a part of the ministry. So you guys physically said you were going to help me, please help me. I'm confident of this. Sorry if that ruins your life first. Second part. It's really interesting. There's two Greek words here that are really interesting. And one of them is began and another one is complete. That began is enarchomias. Enarchomias is an interesting word. What it has to do with is, now they would have gotten this, because again, if you guys remember Philippi, Philippi was not a Jewish place, it was a Roman place. There, and Romans were all known for their gods. They had a god for everything. They even had a god for, 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 the, for the ungod, the god that they don't even know about. And so what, would, what they would do is they'd have all these different temples and it was all about sacrifice at that time. And so in, in our Karmias, what they would do is they would begin the sacrifice. That's the word for, for, that he uses here. The begin is you grab some form of animal that will be acceptable, you wash it, you clean it, you get it ready, and you bring it to the altar to be sacrificed. That's the word for begin that Paul uses. And then he uses the word to complete, or epiteleo. Epiteleo is an interesting word because what epiteleo means is you kill it now. You've, you, you've prepared the offering, and now you're going to kill it and offer it. That's the real meaning of what Paul is saying. Because he gets it as he sits and waits for Nero. God is beginning to prepare me as a sacrifice. And pretty soon, I will be killed as an offering. And then, he equates it to them. He's preparing you. And then, you will be completed as an offering for God. Okay, anybody want to change their tattoo now? I'm sorry if I destroyed your life first. But isn't it so much deeper than just, he got me this job, he's going to continue to go in it. No, it's, he called me as a servant and as a slave. And he's going to do it in everything. And one day, one day, I will be an offering. Don't miss it here. What Paul is saying is you can rely on the plan of God. Amen? You can truly rely on it. Now, is there anything in this world that you can rely on with 100% of surety? Some of the young people are still going, maybe. All of the older people are going, "Mm mm-mm. And all of the really old people are like, I don't even trust what he's saying. (laughs) Because the longer you get in life, I'll tell you, the more you realize you can't rely on anything, right? Nothing. Except for taxes and death, right? (laughs) And I pray you have a good mechanic. I'm being cavalier with this because sometimes we have to be. Because life truly is, there's there's nothing you can rely on. 
But you can truly rely on that which is outside of the creation. You can rely on the creator. This is why humanism always fails. Because it looks around at everything we have physically and and what we can do mentally and what we as a human race can do. And honestly, we're living what the human race can do. More death, more suffering, more destruction, more war. I mean, you name it, it's there. Just turn on the 6 o'clock news, people. But the truth is, outside of creation, we have a creator who is above all this and sent his son as a slave to show us and die for us and do what we could not do. That is the truth. And that's why Paul is jazzed, even in jail. I mean, he's primed for encouragement, even in prison. Which is why we have to rely on God's plan. That's what Abraham did when he was called to sacrifice his son. He relied on him. David was called to rely on God's plan with Saul. These were all really tough incidences. If you don't believe me, read them in the Bible. It's super easy to see. You can find it there. It's awesome. I recommend it. Read your Bible. It's good stuff. Because these are normal people, just like you and me relying on the plan of God that was way above them. How about Jesus relying on the Father's plan? Not my will, but your will be done. As he sweat blood, knowing he was going to go to the cross for you and me. Where are you being called to rely on him and relinquish your life? Maybe it's with your boss at work, that really obnoxious co-worker. Maybe it's with your spouse or in your family or trusting others in a grow group with your struggles and you haven't yet and you know God's calling you too. Because when you do, loneliness is let go of. This is what Paul patterns. I love this. In verse 7 he goes on to say, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, in my cardia. Okay, he's, he's literally like in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you. That word is a great word. It's splagnon. Say it with me. Splagnon. It's a great word. It literally means guts. The kidneys and the bowels. See, in the ancient world, it wasn't just like your, your heart is, you know, like when they would say, um, I love you with all my heart. They would include heart sometimes, but that was more of a mental thing. They, they, they would say, I love you with all my splagnon. It's a great word. Because doesn't that just get to the heart of the experience? And if you know what I'm talking about. You ever driven with a 16-year-old? Yeah. You feel it in your splagnon. <laughs> Heck, if any of you got teenagers, right? You don't even have to go anywhere from there. You ever gone on an amusement park ride? You ever been on your first date? You know, think about the, the, the stuff that's going on in your body that has just gripped you. To Paul, he is gripped by these people, good and bad. And he feels for them. Let me ask you a serious question. Do you have people... Here at the mission, that you feel in your splagnon, in your guts for? Because to Paul, you should. The body of believers was put together not just to hang out on a Sunday, but to journey and sojourn together in life. Whose life are you a part of here at the mission? Lastly, we need to reject our own wants so as to reveal Jesus to others. 
This is why he goes on to pray, and I love this prayer. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of this righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He doesn't pray for himself. That's the first thing we need to notice. He's waiting narrow. He's waiting certain death. He prays for others. You talk about a guy that cares more for others. By the way, this is the number one test of leadership and maturity in leadership. Is leading all about you? Is leading all about what you want and your ideas? Or is it about getting down, taking off your outer garments, and washing the feet of the other? Because that's what it is to Paul. Rejecting his own wants and revealing Jesus to others. Notice that Paul here too does not pray that they go out and share about Jesus. That's not his goal. What he does say is that you would show Jesus. The word he uses here is really interesting. It's that understanding of boiling over in the Greek. Like if you've got water that's on the cook fire and it's going too long and eventually that water just keeps boiling over. Some of you have been there, right? You get a phone call and you've got the, the, the water on the pot and you're ready to create, you know, do spaghetti or whatever and you walk away from it for a minute and you're on the foot and then you come back and there's water everywhere and it's all boiling over. What a mess, right? That's the idea of being filled with the knowledge and the depth of insight. The idea is that God's love so overflows in you that it becomes a mess to the world around you. Some of us are a mess because our hands are stuck. God wants us to be a mess, free to live the life that Jesus has given us. This is what he prays for. Not sharing it, but showing it. It's okay to share but we should share after we've shown. Lastly, he uses a really cool word here. For the word pure, this is an interesting word, and I want to give you the the thing on this and then we'll be done, but the word for pure is ilirakanis, and ilirakanis was an interesting word. It, It literally has to do with, well, okay, let me just give you the understanding. It literally means tested in the sun. Pure means testing the sun. And the reason for that is because the Greeks really liked, Ro- uh, or I'm sorry, the Romans really liked Greek statues at the time. Um, you know, when you go to the museum and you see these nice Greek statues that are all in marble and everything else, well, the Romans liked them too. In fact, they wanted to buy them and put them in their garden, or they wanted to buy them and put them at the front of their house. And, and so there was all these markets that were going on in the day, and what you could do is you could go to the market and buy a statue. The only problem was this. It, it, is it pure? Because what they would do is, Anybody would, would hire somebody who had just an ounce of, 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 of skill. They would grab that. They would, put, uh, uh, they would try to put something together, but they would use this knockoff form of, of marble that wasn't really good. In fact, it's called wax. It's not really marble, is it? You guys have seen it on candles, right? You, you know what's the problem with a statue that you place in your garden on a sunny day made of wax? And so this word was used a lot. People would say when they bought things, okay, okay, yeah, but is it ilirakanes, right? Is it ilirakanes here? Is it pure? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 it's pure, it's pure, it's great, yeah, yeah, give me your, give me your drachma. <laughs> they take it home, they set it out, next day they'd come out and the nose is gone, sitting by the hood, you know, wax. So what Paul is saying here is in the time when the heat turns up, when the heat is turned up, 
May your faith be tested by the Son, pure and strong. And if you're relying on God, then you're going to reach out and not retreat. You need to reject your own wants so that Jesus can be revealed. Three things, really quick. I know I said I'm done, I'm sorry, but this is really small, this is really simple, and we're going to, in fact, if you want to start playing, you can, Jason. We want joy. Let me tell you how easily you can get joy and battle loneliness. You can reach out by joining a grow group and committing to it for a year. We're redoing uh, grow groups. We want everybody to be a part of the community. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a community. The church isn't these walls. The kingdom is not the mission. It's in the people. And it's great to come into a sanctuary and hang out in a foyer, but it's a whole other thing to hang out in a living room and talk deep thoughts at a kitchen table. We're launching Grow Groups in February of this year, and I'm really excited. What we're going to do is we're going to bring it right in here. We're going to have tables, and we're going to go through, and it's going to be on a four- to six-week commitment. But from there, what we're hoping is that people will go from their tables to their homes. And our goal is that more people will get connected. Because that's what it's about. You can't encourage people. You can't reach out if you're all by yourself. We can rely on God's plan by allowing others into our life. We're also going to have a mission membership in two weeks. And if you've been coming here and you're like, you know what, I want to join this church family. And sign up. It's an easy way to start allowing others into your, into your life. And lastly, you can reject your own plans and say yes to Jesus and reveal Him to the world around you. I think the easiest way to do that is in grow groups, go out and serve. I long to see grow groups who are taking care of things in the church and in the community. I, I want to pass these around. They're, each one is the same. It's got two different sheets on it. Now, again, if you're new here, don't worry about this. You know, But if you're saying, I want to make this my home and I want to be a part of this church, my prayer is that if you're new, that you would do that eventually. And that this would be something, you, you know, the church that you could lay roots into, that your family can lay roots into. But this is simple. This is, I've been coming to this church, and you know what? I'm here, but I, I'm really not connected. If I'm honest, I, I'm, I, I'm growing on a Sunday, but it's one thing to be in the foyer. I need to have a kitchen table conversation. Because I'm struggling. Or I'm lonely. You know what's the number one problem in America is loneliness? And yet we're so connected, aren't we? having kitchen table conversations now's a chance I'm excited I think we're going to have a great year this year and I, can I just tell you one of the things I pray for for this church I hate it when I get emotional I'm sorry <laughs> give me a second is that we would be connected in a family that's what people need to see they don't need to be hammered with truth be nailed on the side of the face with a bible <laughs> They don't need someone to come into them and tell them, I'm right, you're wrong. No, what they need to see is, we're just a part of the family of God and we love each other. And can we love you? That's it. That's what we need.
My hope is that you'll join with us. I'm sorry for being a big baby. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I thank you. I thank you for community. I thank you for the fact that we can get together as broken people and encourage each other. As Paul said, all saints in Philippi, we say here today, all saints in the mission and in Redlands, we just want to gather together. Lord, we need your joy in the midst of loneliness. Many of us have held on to loneliness way too long and we're getting beat up. Lord, I pray that we would let go and grab a hold of your son, Jesus Christ, who wants to lead us into the community that he has for us today. My hope is that we fill this sanctuary with people who say, I want to get connected and I want to grow in faith together so that we can serve Jesus in this community. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And as the ushers come on forward, you know, we just, we have an opportunity with our, with our finances to just take that one step of discipleship that says we trust you with everything. Not just our calendars, not just our time, but our treasures. Our goal as a church is to have 70 families who are committed to giving so that we can not only pay the bills, but start helping to pay the bills of others around us and start reaching out to the community around us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm just like I said, I'm going to pass these around and as you guys are doing worship, if this comes to you and you feel so led, again, all you got to do is sign up.